Central Michigan's 42-28 win on homecoming over New Mexico State and the upcoming matchup against Bowling Green, who just pulled off one heck of an upset in the Mid-American Conference. Another edition of Maroon and Bold. I'm Evan Petzl, your sports editor for Central Michigan Life. Along with me, assistant sports editor Austin Chastain. Austin, how you doing, man? Um, you know, how, how's life been treating you? Uh, life's been good, man. Uh, 22 tomorrow. Uh, t- we're recording this here on two or on Monday. 22 tomorrow. You recently celebrated a birthday too. Uh, how are you feeling? October 10th was the uh, was the big day. So, yeah, it was a good one, man. 21. It definitely. Definitely feels different, right? It feels special. There's a little bit more to it, you know, throwing that throwing that ID out there and <laughs> being able to to have him say, Yup, you pass and and move along through. I I mean it's I don't know, it's cool. I guess it's kind of the last big birthday, right? I mean right, does yeah. twenty two really matter to you at all or no no, honestly really. it, it it's you know, it'll be fun to, to celebrate with my mm-hmm. friends, but uh otherwise than that, no. So obviously, you know, I had a big day. Yes. You know, for my birthday, but the Chippewas of Central Michigan uh, had a pretty big day against New Mexico State. I mean, an independent there on homecoming, and it ended up being a 42 to 28 win. It improved Central Michigan to four and three. It was the first time they've had back to back wins since 2017, and and really the last time that they strung together wins like that was you know when they won five straight to end the regular season and ended up making a bowl game, and that was when you know Shane Morris was in town and Tyler Conklin, Mark Chapman, all those guys. And finally, back-to-back wins, something new that, that Central is not used to. What did you see out of that game against New Mexico State? And you know, a lot of, I know a lot of people were harping on the, on the defense, and, but I think the, the main thing that I noticed at least was explosive plays. They were there again for the second straight week, and that's huge. What were your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the explosive plays, that part was huge. The, the part about the defense um, – I don't know. Is it still a young young secondary? I oh mean, yeah. You're, you're still you're still trying to find your identity on both sides of the ball defensively, even more so because we've we've talked about it here before. But you lost so many pieces from mm-hmm. last year that you're still trying to find your way defensively, and it, it, the secondary, the the defense as a whole looked young, mm-hmm. but. Overall, I thought it played a pretty good game. Well, I've seen a lot of people on my timeline, um, you know, on on Facebook and, and on CM Life's timeline posting stuff, and then obviously, you know, on my Twitter feed as well, talking about why is this defense not not like Greg Colby's uh, of last year? Obviously, you know, the defensive coordinator uh, under John Bonamigo before, you know, Bono left and, and Colby left as well, and and kind of asking they should have retained, they should have they should have kept Greg Colby, they should have kept him around, he should have been he should have been there. You know, why did Jim McElwain not keep him around? Well, listen, Greg Colby was working with something that was so much different than what Rob Akey is right now. Because you have to remember, I mean, we'll go back through it. I've said this so many times, but you lost literally all three of your starting linebackers, um, you know, as long as you want to continue to include Trevor Apsey, um, you know, in that mix. But Michael Oliver obviously played played a fair amount last year as well. But still, I mean, you, you lose your three senior starting linebackers. You lose your two cornerbacks who both went to the NFL. Like, that's the reason why teams weren't able to score a bunch of points in the Chippewas last year. That's why 
the game seemed closer than they really were because you had two guys back there that nobody was going to pass on. And that, that's just that's just the truth of it, right? And so you, you lose, essentially, everybody off the front line except the safeties. Everyone besides the front line, um, you lose, except for those safeties back there. And, you know, yeah, you bring back Devonnie Reed and Daquan Jamison and Lamonzo McCoy, and that's a, that's a good, strong core group right there. But you lose both the corners, you lose all three starting linebackers, and let's go to the defensive line and, and talk about that for a minute mm-hmm. because you lose Mitch Stanizak, you lose Nathan Brisson fast, you lose Mike Dana. Those are three guys that are, that are just gone. And Mike Dana obviously moving on to Michigan, so it's not like he graduated. It's just he was better than, than Mac-level talent. So people are trying to talk like, oh, Greg Colby this, Greg Colby that. He should have been here. You know, they clearly showed against New Mexico State that they're not a good defense under under Rob Akey or, or whatever the hoopla is all about. And I'm just kind of scratching my head thinking, how can you judge a defensive coordinator that literally inherited nothing? Right. And besides I, a group of safeties. Right. I mean, and – it's not like defensively you can build around one guy, and generally if you're going to build around mm-hmm. one guy, it's maybe a middle linebacker, i.e. Michael Oliver. But you're not you're not building a, any unit on a football team around one guy. You shouldn't anyway. And what Aki's been able to do, I mean, yeah, I mean, defense does give up quite a few points, but he's he's like you said, he he's working with mm-hmm. practically nothing, and he's built it up to be a not half bad. Mm-hmm. I would say adequate adequate defensive unit so listen, far. listen i think the biggest thing too is people are looking at this this schedule right now and saying well you gave up 21 to albany um 61 to wisconsin you can scratch that one off because that, wisconsin's rolling the hell that, out of everybody that's not liar <laughs> but you give up 24 to akron you know one of the worst teams in the mid-american conference you give up 17 to miami in a game that you lost by five you give up 31 to western and then and then 16 to eastern that was probably that's probably their best all-around game then you go and give up 28 to New Mexico State, a team that hasn't been good this year at 0-7. Now, they have played some, some tough teams, but and they have been in some games as well. But you still give up 28 points to a team that, that's struggling and a quarterback that's struggling. But you look at that, right, and, and you say, well, isn't that what was supposed to happen this year? Weren't they supposed to struggle on defense and the offense was supposed to be good enough to make up for it, which is exactly what's happening? Like, like that's what I'm trying to say, too, is – it's not like you expected CMU to be as good of a, a defense as they were last year with the pieces that they lost. So you knew in order to win games, they had to put up 40-plus points in games that they were going to win. At the spring practice last April, or I guess in April, not last April, but in April, I was I think I was talking with you, actually, um, and maybe our columnist Ben Zeitler as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I, I said that exact point, is that the defense is not going to be very good um, at first, but the offense, it, I'm just repeating exactly what you said, but that offense is really strong and it's going to be yeah. really good. And it's going to keep the Chippewas in, in games mm-hmm. where, I mean, and that's pretty much the, that's the status quo in the mid-American conference. I feel exactly. Like. No. And it's all about, you know, who can, who can put up big points on a consistent basis. You're not going to get a lot of games that are, you know, 10 to seven in the mid-American conference. That doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. And, so I think from that perspective, like you knew you were going to lose, you know, a lot of that defensive firepower you had, and so the offense is going to have to make up for it. And and so far they've done that, you know, in games that they've won and in games that they've been in, they've they've done that fairly well in, in my opinion. Outside of you know obviously Wisconsin, which let's not even talk about because it's it's not a conference game. But I mean yeah, that Western Michigan game, they 
really, too, they left nine points out there off of field goals that they didn't go after. So you want to, you know, you tack nine points onto onto fifteen, and you got twenty four, and it's a thirty one twenty four loss. That's not that bad from an offensive standpoint. Scoring twenty four on Western Michigan, a team that's you know historically. And when you look at who they have on offense and defense, they're senior-led, they've been together, they're returners. To score 24 on those guys, it's really not too bad. And I think if you take those situations that, that McElwain went for it on and you kick them, you're talking about a little bit different of a story. And I, and I think people are too quick to slight the Chippewas on that. And, and, and also, also, if you're a CMU fan and you look at a score like 42-28 and you want to complain about the defense and you want to complain about the performance – where, where, what happened to you? You know, if you're a fan like that, look at last year. Should, Do you remember what happened last year? Do you remember how bad it was last year? Take a 42 to 28 win, put it in your back pocket, say thank you to the offense, and move on to the next week. Go to the bird and celebrate. <laughs> but really, kidding. though, I mean, I mean, I think people are, you know, I don't, I don't know. You see the win over Eastern, and yeah, they they dominated in that one. And you gave up 28 points to one of the worst teams in college football from a statistical standpoint. Um, oh well, you won. You put up 42 points. You got back-to-back wins. Also, I mean, it's and it's not like New Mexico State is is garbage on offense either. They turn the ball over a lot, but they also move the ball. They move the ball very well. Jason Huntley, you know, he also that's the other thing that that you got to make note of is Jason Huntley is their best player, um, and and he might be one of the best. The best players in the bottom, you know, 15 of college football when you're ranking the teams. I mean, he he is a dynamic athlete, a guy that can really hurt you on the ground. And he had 10 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown and, and four receptions for 32 yards. But one of those carries was was his touchdown run, which was a 37-yard touchdown run, where he put on what? Two spin moves and ended up what breaking four or five tackles. Yeah. I think he put two spin moves on, broke two other tackles, and I think slipped. Actually, I think he slipped a third at at the goal line, if I'm not mistaken. So, okay, you give up. Okay, you give up 67 yards to him, but one of those carries is for 37 on a touchdown, which is one of those scores that you're going to give up to a guy like him because he's just that good. So, really, take that carry out of there, and it was nine carries for 30 yards. That's uh, that's pretty good run defense right there. So think about it. Like that's the other thing too that I think people don't understand is you take a look at that and it's. You're kind of like, oh man, you know, you gave up, you know, 67 yards, and your run defense is supposed to be all that and a, a bag of chips. But one was a 37-yard touchdown run, and I was going to say, 67 yards on the ground is still a really good defensive performance. Yep, so, I know. <laughs> people are pissed, and they will be because when you win, people want more. People want they want more. more and more and more and more, and it won't stop. But Chippewa fans, remember 2018. Remember what that was like. Remember the way that it made you feel. Remember, remember going to you know going to bed at night, thinking about the fact that your offense couldn't even put up any points, and the only reason your team was in it during the first half was because Mike Dana had a soup had a, had a scoop and score, or Sean Bunting had an interception, or this or that because the defense saved your ass every single time, every single game, and they were the reason why games were close. It's just not the same anymore. It's just changed. So now the offense has to be better. And they scored 42 points in back-to-back games. It's, uh, that, if you're going to complain about that, then then I don't really know what else to tell you. You're, you're going to be in for a, a pretty sad rest of the season because they're not going to lock teams down on defense like they did last year. Right. And that's not because Rob Akey is the defensive coordinator and Greg Colby is not. It has nothing to do with that. It, 
and and it's it's not to discredit the guys on the field, but they're no. just they're just not to the same experience, experience level or there talent level. Yep. As as the guys that you mentioned mm-hmm. mentioned a little bit ago, it has nothing to do with the coaching mm-hmm. staff. It's it's the guys on the field and the guys on the field. I mean, you want to say that they're giving their their all and they're they're just they're just trying, man. <laughs> they're doing they're you know they're they're getting better. I think each and every week. Obviously, twenty eight points to New Mexico State. Not what you want to see, but I I think that the defense is is getting better, and I think. The later the later the season goes, you know you'll start to see a little bit better performances. I think. Well, you're going to look at what look. I mean, look at how quickly Kyron McKinney Harper has become just an absolute animal at cornerback. I mean, he's really been able to help them out. And yeah, give him a year, give him one more full off season of training, and have him come back as a sophomore with 12 games under his belt already. He'll, he'll be. I, he could be a star. And he didn't enroll early either. No, he's... the only one that enrolled early of that Cast Tech group was Lou Nichols, and, and he's a guy that obviously played in the first four games, and now they're going to wait it out because you know you don't want to burn his red shirt just just for nothing, especially if you have you know guys like and if you have Jonathan Ward in there that can that can do stuff, and, and then you know Lou Nichols. There's no there's no reason. Excuse me, um, Kobe, you know, Lewis. Kobe Lewis. There's no reason to to burn Lou's Lou's red shirt, and they know that. But still, Kyron McKinney Harper came in in the summer, like right before fall camp was going to get going. And he was a starter by what, week two? Yeah, I think he started yeah. that second game. I Against think Wisconsin. That Wisconsin. Yeah, that Wisconsin game. Maybe it was week three. But either way, yeah. the fact of the matter is, that guy's going to be good. Jacques Bristol is going to be good. He's going to be good, good. Devonnie Reed has another year at safety. He's going to take over that room once, uh, you know, once Jamison's out. Gage Kresge looks good at safety. I, I mean, he had some big hits. He'll fill in. There's pieces. Really There's pieces, man. And Chuck Jones has looked really good. Troy Harrison has, has looked good at defensive end. So when they need him, you know, they'll be able to use him there. The list kind of goes on and on with some of these guys. Willie Reed has looked really good when he's gotten time to play. Um, Troy Brown has looked great this year. Phenomenal. That's another stepping stone that you get next year. And a lot of these guys are just playing in there for the first time, getting their first starts, getting their first true reps with the first team this year. I say you got to give them time, man. You just you, you got to stop complaining about the defense. You, you got to. If you're going to complain about anything, complain about the offense. But I don't really know what you're going to complain about because, in the way that the way that CMU looked from an offensive standpoint was was thoroughly impressive. Opened up the game, um, you know, right, right there from the get go with a 44 yard pass from Dormady to to Khalil Pimpleton. It was in the bread, it was in the bread basket, man. It was a beautiful throw. You can't put it much better than that. And there's a couple of throws that Dormady missed, but he wasn't relied on to be the guy in that game. They handed the ball off a ton, a ton, a ton. I mean, Kobe Lewis had 161 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, and, and Ward went for 131 and a score. Dormady didn't have to do much. No, he was 14 of 24 for, what, 134, 135? 134. 134 and two touchdowns? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't see what else you need, really need for because, I mean, it was a really windy day, too. It was I mean, a windy day. At the same time, you're playing New Mexico State. You know you can beat that team on the ground. Why are you going to roll out passing plays that you don't want to show yet? Right, exactly. Save it for a rainy day. Right. But in that case, a dry day. Because you don't want to throw in the rain, but like that's the that's the point though. They didn't need him. They didn't use him. 
He still had, I mean, he still had two passing touchdowns, didn't throw an interception. You know, it was, it was, you know, all in all, it was a good performance from, from Quinton in his first game back from injury. Um, and then obviously, you know, replacing David Moore due to the, due to the suspension. And I, I think we need to talk about that really quick for a minute oh, because yeah. we didn't address that on the last podcast since, you know, it came out the, the day that it, the podcast was released. So we didn't get a chance to, to dabble into that, but man, what, what devastating news. Really though. I mean, it honestly, I mean, it, it sucks, it sucks for David it sucks for the program. I mean, you, it's one of those deals that you just don't, you don't, you don't like to, you don't like to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in any program you, you feel for the guy, um, now, if if it comes out that, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that this actually happened, but if it comes out that, you know, he was doing something really that he shouldn't have been doing, I guess, um, then whatever, I, then you don't feel for him. But if it's just a simple mistake and he loses a year of eligibility because of it, I mean, I get rules are rules, but man, rules that, are rules. That's I mean, him. It, yeah, it sucks and it's 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 frustrating, but. I mean, I talked to Jim McElwain about it, and I said, "Hey, so do you do you tell your guys to check those labels and to bring them into the trainers when they're taking over the counter, you know, over the counter supplements, you know, that are nutritional based, and and that's what CMU has cited as the likely cause of that, and everything from interviews with McElwain and, and teammates and stuff that all kind of follows that same precedent." Um, and and McElwain said, "Yeah, yeah, we tell them it's 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 protocol before the season. We tell them, hey, listen, you take anything, you bring it to us first." We'll check it, and we'll really check it, not just, oh, read the label. We'll check it, check it, and and then we'll give you the green light, or we'll say, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. He knew, and and even on the NCAA AA's rules, uh, they, they talk about over-the-counter supplements, and in, in bright red fine print, it says, you know, take at your own risk and check with, you know, the, the correct person in the athletic department before using any over-the-counter substances. He had warnings. They were there. I, I guess, yeah, I feel bad because he's a good guy. And from talking to David and his and his dad as well, they're, they're good people. You know, they, they really are. And they've really been open with me um, from, from an interview standpoint about about things. And they keep it real, as, as you know, us kids like to say. Oh, yeah. They keep it real. And I think for, for from that standpoint, yeah, you, you feel bad. You do. Because, you know, yeah, maybe he, he made a silly mistake and – you make a silly mistake, but at the same time, he knew, he knew better. And if CMU is saying that that's the likely cause, then then yeah, yeah, he he did he did know better. And that that obviously came out. That ruling came out back on October eighth, um, and that was when the NCAA had officially made the suspension uh, of David Moore after he tested positive for a banned substance. Now, um, that was obviously on the eighth. On the seventh is when Central Michigan found out about the failed. Um, the failed test when when they found a, found a banned substance in his system. Now, according to the NCAA, the penalty for a positive test of a performance-enhancing drug is automatic. So if it's upheld by the NCAA because CMU is going through the appeals process now, if that's upheld, he loses one full year of eligibility, which would essentially be um, you know until October of, of 2020. And I think we got to talk about that a little bit because, man – you're out till October 2020. You've already had, you know, your you already had your you know set out for transfer reasons, and um, you know you've already taken the red shirt and you've you've done all that, and you're gonna be a senior next year. You don't get a red shirt for being suspended, right? 
So you're going to be a senior next year with roughly, what, six, seven games, depending on how the bye week shakes out, left in your career. There's already going to be a starting quarterback in there before you. Right. I mean, unless you have a, I guess, a similar situation to this year when the starter gets hurt. And then he comes in, but at the same time, you still only have six or seven games to prove yourself to to anybody at the next level that you're going to be capable of playing. Right, be it the NFL, the CFL, the AFL, the, the XFL. XFL. That that would be fun to watch. But no, I'm just saying. Like it, I totally agree. I, I mean, mean, you obviously have your pro day, and you have you know opportunities there, but it's all about that in game moments. And if if let's just say, which it likely will come down to this, as you know, Daniel Richardson's going to be the starter next year. They're, they are seasoning him to, to be in that role. If Daniel Richardson's a starter and he's playing all right slash mediocre slash good, any of those three real options, I mean, unless he's playing, you know, poor, why, why do you pull your, your starter that's, you know, at least keeping you in games? Right. For a guy that has no game experience for the last year. And it's a tough situation because you have to remember too, if he transfers, it's it's he still has. I mean, he still is suspended, and you know, if he if he does transfer and decide to sit out, I guess, um, you know, he's still sitting out the entire twenty twenty season, and due, due to NCAA transfer rules, and then does he even get a next season? I don't think so because of the fact that he's already used, you know, he's already used transfers and he's been back and forth and had red shirts. I don't know if they give him another year for that. I'd have to obviously do some research on that, but either way. You're kind of toast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if like you, has he has he burned his redshirt? Yeah, when he was at Memphis, right? Because he didn't play his first year, uh, right? So took a couple snaps, but didn't play, uh, right? So I mean, he's already burned his redshirt. I mean, this is it for him. I mean, that that six, it could even be five games. Now, he might be able to get a transfer a transfer redshirt type of situation where he wouldn't then play until 2021. But like I said, I have to do some research on that because there are guys that do take redshirts early in their career and then transfer later and have to sit out a year. Right. Like that is very common. But with the with the suspension and all that and the way that it works out, I'm not sure. And it's interesting because when when Will Greer was suspended under Jim McElwain in 2015 at, at Florida, also for testing positive for a performance-enhancing drug that they said was an over-the-counter supplement, he was a younger quarterback then. Wasn't he a sophomore? Was he a Redshirt freshman? I think he was a redshirt freshman. Redshirt freshman. So he had time. There, there was time in his eligibility to, to play. But for David Moore, it's a little bit different. And and to see how that plays out is going to be going to be really interesting. Um, and you know Greer's situation very similar um, in the fact that he said he was unaware that the supplement was was banned. He didn't follow the correct po- protocol to clear it with Florida's football trainers. And um, and now. You know, in, in what, over the course of 2015 to, to 2019, it's happened to Jim McElwain twice. And, and it's rare to hear that happen, man. I don't, I, don't, I don't hear of a lot of guys getting suspended for, you know, over-the-counter substances. Do you? N- no. And quarter, quarterbacks doing it? Uh, no. Yeah. I, I, have, I don't hear about that. I mean, the, I think the first time I actually heard about it, and I, I don't know, but the, I think the first time I heard about it was Greer. was Greer. And then I know they had Clemson and – I think it was Clemson had a group of three players before their college football playoff game last year against Notre Dame that were you know that were suspended. Um, I, I don't know what that was for specifically, but I feel like all of last year, like I never heard of guys getting suspended or guys, you know, for any any type of failed test. I feel like they mostly do a do a pretty good job of keeping their players under wraps, but it happens and it happens, I guess. I mean, what, what else are you going to do about it? But right. – 
anyway, moving along with that, just wanted to update you guys on, on what's going on there. And obviously, as more information comes out and through the, through the appeals process and, and all that, um, you know, we'll keep you guys in the loop. But this, this game coming up for Central Michigan is, is huge. And it's Capital interesting. H. It's interesting. It's against a Bowling Green team that won its first game against Morgan State, and, and they won it 46-3 to and looked really good doing it. And then it was uh, four straight losses. Um, they lost 52 nothing to Kansas State. They lost 35-7 to against Louisiana Tech. And then against Kent State, a MAC opponent, they lost 62-20 to and just were slaughtered in that one. And then they went to Notre Dame in, uh, in South Bend, and they lost that one 52 nothing. And then in the game where they were they were underdogs by 22.5 points, they beat Toledo 20 to 7. Wow. And so that's what Central's up against this week is a team that's riding high off of a win against Toledo. They have a new quarterback in there who is who is you know their who is their full-time starting quarterback now in Grant Loy. Um, flipped over to him after um, their their quarterback uh, from prior kind of Darius Wade was, was his name and he just wasn't able to really get the offense behind him and, and wasn't able to move the ball and just there's a lot of struggles there and that's kind of obvious based on their schedule and those results but Grant Loy is a guy who can do it both against Toledo he was 14 of 21 for 185 yards one touchdown one interception but he also this is the big one carried the ball 19 times for 137 yards and a touchdown. He's a six foot five guy. He can run between the tackles. He can he can move the football and move the chains. So yeah, it's it's new. It's different. Um, you know the, the system's kind of changed a little bit. They have a totally different option that they can throw at you. You know from the quarterback position. And if you're Central Michigan, is this game cause you to to worry a little bit because they they had that win against Toledo, or is it something that you're still not really worried because Bowling you know Bowling Green hasn't proven themselves. They won one game and you might call that a fluke. I'm not sure. I I think it's a game in the Mid American Conference. You have <laughs> you have got to be on your you're telling on, me on your toes. Um, yep. I mean, look look at that game, the Bowling mm-hmm. Green Toledo game. I mean, Toledo was, I think they were picked to win the win the West Division, right? Yep. And Bowling Green is I think was picked either last, maybe second to last mm-hmm. to in the East in the East and. Falcons went out there and took care of business. It just again, it just shows you that anybody can win mm-hmm. in this conference. And um, so obviously, CMU's got to be really careful in yeah. this game, but not too careful. You know, be timid and lo- and you know, throw the game away. You just, you just have to go in the, the mindset like this team can beat us. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with last week. Well, it's interesting too because you even look at the the Mid American Conference and outside of Western Michigan being two and one and having the tiebreaker for second place right now over the Chippewas. Ball State and Central Michigan are right there at the top of the MAC West. Ball State leading it at, at 2-0. Those are the two teams projected to finish at the very bottom, with, with Ball State finishing um, you know, second to last in the West and then, and then Central Michigan. And that just tells you a little bit about the MAC is it's up in the air. But also, you have to remember, a lot of these teams have only played two conference games. So there's still a lot that it's going to be told. And I think at some point, that kind of shakes out a little bit when you look at it from the standpoint of like who's good, who's not good, who's going to compete, who's not. I think in in the East, I mean, you look at Buffalo, who's who's 0-2 this year, and they they are really struggling um, right now. And, and that kind of you know kind of all comes down to them you know losing their quarterback from last year and losing a couple of big weapons at, at wide receiver. And it's a different team now. It really is. And, and Akron, 0-6 overall, 0-2 in, in the conference. I think both those teams have kind of proven themselves 
as squads that are going to struggle. But even a team like Eastern Michigan in the West that's 0-2, they still have a win over, over Illinois. That's not a bad resume win to have. And so from that standpoint, it's like, all right, outside of Buffalo and Akron in the West, the whole thing is kind of up for grabs. Really? really. I mean, for, for everybody in each division. And I think that's going to play out as we you know go through a couple more games. But you know the Chippewas for this one, and really for all the rest of the games, if they really want a chance to to make magic happen and and, and go to the the MAC the MAC tournament, you know, or the MAC title game, excuse me, they got to win out. Oh yeah, I mean Guaranteed. from the perspective of you have on the road against Bowling Green, on the road against Buffalo, Northern Illinois at home, Ball State on the road, and then you know, wrap up with Toledo at home. You got it. You got to be able to to stay in games and to win games and it starts with every single week because and you got to pray for western michigan to lose one too because right now western has that tiebreaker and obviously ball state's gonna have to lose too so with that being said every game is so important in the mid-american conference now that we're strictly to conference play so i guess kind of taking a look at at bowling green and what they bring obviously darius wade was a guy that, that they brought in as a as a transfer and he was supposed to do damage and they brought him in he was supposed to be the the guy that changes the program and that that didn't happen through their their first part of the season, and they end up benching him, and and now it's Grant Loy's team under center at, at quarterback for the Falcons, and man, did he ever impress in a game that was a, a huge upset. They came in the game as twenty two point five point underdogs, and and man, they went in there and, and they beat Toledo, and they beat Toledo twenty to seven, and it, it was pretty convincing, and it was kind of on the back of their new quarterback Grant Loy. How big of a win was that for them, and and what does that do momentum wise? for you moving forward to taking on Central Michigan? Well, it's huge. I mean, obviously getting a win against a, a team like Toledo, who's kind of the class of the conference almost, It's, I mean, it's huge for your program. It's huge for your season. It, it's it's fantastic. And, and I think for Toledo, too, um, they made a lot of mistakes in that game. Yep. So it's kind of a, like, damn it, we need to pick this up. Like That game would have been a lot closer, but – Toledo gave them opportunities to win that game over and over and over and over. Right, but credit Bowling Green for, for capitalizing, capitalizing. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, they they went and took care of business and scored the points when they needed to, and mm-hmm. when they had those great opportunities too. So, you know, it works. It, I think it works both ways coming out of that matchup and going into this this game against CMU. Man. Um, you kind of want to avoid a, a letdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't like to use that word, I guess, but you really need to, for Bowling Green, you need to focus um, this week and really come out come out firing on don't all cylinders. Don't get too high, though, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't get high. Don't get too low. Just, and it's another week. We won the game. Okay, it's in the back burner. It's in our pockets. We have another game to go play. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, with, with a guy like, with a guy like Loy at quarterback for for Bowling Green, I mean, what he brings to the table as a running back, excuse me, as a running quarterback and a passing quarterback, um, presents an opportunity for CMU. You saw him do it to Mike Glass the third of Eastern Michigan. It's all about taking a guy like that that's two dimensional and making him one dimensional. And with CMU's run defenses, you know, I know you kind of talked to me about a little bit this week. They they have a good run defense and they're going to be able to stop the run. So if you can take away his passing game by throwing an extra extra safety back there or, or you know using you know Daquan Jameson as uh you know using Daquan Jameson, Devonnie Reed and then bringing in Alonzo McCoy maybe off the bench and having him be you know that third safety in the mix to kind of give you a little bit of an extra presence in the backfield 
or excuse me, in the, in the secondary, try to make Loy run the ball, and maybe that's where your defense steps up and helps you out. I mean, you saw him do it against against Eastern Michigan, and it, it worked really well. They won that game 41 to six, 42 to 16. So can they repeat that? We'll see. We still don't know what we still don't know what Bowling Green is because they gave up 60 plus to Kent State earlier in the season, and I mean to give up that that's a lot of points to give up, and obviously that was a, a loss for for them as they only they only scored 24. So what are what what is Bowling Green? We don't know, but we do know Central Michigan has a good run defense. I think you got to make a guy like Grant Loy one dimensional and, and see if you can maybe capitalize off of that. Agreed. I mean if and. This was another another part that we were chatting about. If you can take away the passing game, because I mean, CMU's run defense or run defense is a lot stronger than its pass defense. Yeah. So if you can take away the passing game, really focus, like you said, maybe throw another safety back there. I I'm not the expert on formations, but you run the nickel formation pretty or yeah, run your nickel set pretty much all day long. Mm-hmm. Your run defense, I think, is good enough to stop anybody that's trying to run through it um, it's also was well, also worth noting too for people that haven't paid as close of attention I mean Andrew Clare who was their star running back coming into the year the guy that was expected to to really carry the team um, he's been in and out with with a foot injury and I know before the the Notre Dame game you know he was um, supposed to be good to play and then he re-injured it and so now he's he's been out again and the thought is that he's probably not going to be able to play against the Chippewas um, but it's just like a ling- lingering injury it's one of those Kind of like the injury that we saw to, to Jonathan Ward last year, which is a lingering injury. Guy's not like out for the season, but he's just like week to week, but it just doesn't look good almost ever. It kind of seems like that's kind of kind of where he's at right now. That puts him at a disadvantage. And I mean, like I said, man, you take away Loy's run game, you, you got a shot to to win that one and, and to win it pretty easily. Oh, but for sure. Your predictions for Central Michigan against Bowling Green this week? Um, I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a Chippewa win. I think the defense. I think the defense gets to gets to Loy um, in the in the running game, but mm-hmm. I think he still passes the ball pretty well. I think he'll sling it around, uh, sling it around the yard pretty well. Um, but I think the CMU offense is just too much. Uh, so I'm gonna go 31-20. Yeah, I mean, I think this game is gonna be gonna be high scoring. Um, specifically on the side of Central Michigan, and specifically in the first quarter, I think it'll be 14-14 when the when the first stands is up. So offensive shootout there to start, but I really do think Central Michigan's going to run away with it. I think their run defense is going to end up being too much for Loy, and and then obviously you know as you continue to take hits in the run game, and it's only going to hurt his passing game as he's continued to be worn down and worn down by by the by the defensive ends that Central Michigan presents and the tackles in there that can really stuff up the run. So I think he struggles in the passing game a little bit, but but a little bit later down the stretch. So I got Central Michigan winning by three touchdowns, but I think it's a close game in the first and an offensive shootout there. But I, I don't see any reason why the Chippewas aren't going to win this one, especially especially knowing that they can now game plan for for Loy and they know that it's going to be him and he's the guy and you have a lot of more film to look at him and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that helps you. Right. A couple of touchdowns in garbage time, you think? Tommy time. Tommy time, little touchdown Tommy. Touchdown Tommy. I think he scores one late. <laughs> um, and you said garbage time. I said Tommy time. There is no correlation between those two. No, Tommy no, Lazaro, not. not garbage time. Um, that's on me. But, but no, I mean, they got they, I mean, no, they have a good package for him, man. I mean, you saw it against New Mexico State. They had the ball with, what, six minutes left, and they ran the clock down. That's what Tommy that I'm telling you, man, like coaches will tell you, and, and I, I talked to McElwain about it, is that is one of the most valuable things that you can have 
on your roster is a guy that can sink, that can just that can just run the clock down and get you out of there with the win. You don't have to worry about turning the ball over. You don't have to worry about doing too much. But if you have a reliable QB that can come in there and just sneak it every time or hand it off if needed, it gives you two different looks rather than just a straight handoff to the running back. That's vital. That's crucial. So honestly, man, like Tommy Lazaro, as much as he doesn't get credit, and he's probably not going to get a lot of credit this year, I wouldn't be surprised if, if by the end of the season, I mean, he's somebody that people are really noticing as like a wow, like without that guy, they might not have won a game or two. Right. And I mean, it, he came in on third down quite a uh, yeah. maybe second, third down. Like, and had a couple of big first downs. He did, and, and he was able he was able to move the ball, uh, which we really were able to see last year too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he runs the ball really, really well. well. Yeah, throwing the ball is not his strong suit. Yeah, uh, so I mean that's why they're going to put him you know in a receiver position, maybe a running back position. Um, but I like I like using him as a wildcat type of quarterback. It, I think it's good for him. I think that kind great of fits his skill set, and it also really does a good job of matching well with what Quentin Dormady brings to the table. But Anyway, you can catch you can catch Tommy Lazaro and the rest of the Chippewas at 2 p.m. on Saturday down at Bowling Green. Um, obviously, you know if you guys can't make the trip, you can follow all of our stuff um, on Twitter at CM Life and, and at CM Life Sports, and we'll be we'll be retweeting ourselves and, and all that kind of stuff because self promotion is what it's all about. But also after the game, head to cm-life.com. You can check out all of our stuff. We'll have tons of good coverage for you guys from the Chippewas game against the Falcons. Again, that's 2 p.m. down in Bowling Green. We'll see you there. Thanks, guys.